I know that elected officials listen to nurses. When I go into a room and I say, I'm a nurse, this is my experience, this is my perspective, legislators and people who are elected, listen. That's a powerful voice that we as nurses have, and we have got to use it. Hello, everyone. I'm Angela Rosa Donato, And I'm Marion Leary. And you're listening to Amplify Nursing, a Penn Nursing podcast supported by the Panola Fund for Innovation in Nursing. Amplify Nursing features nurses who are leading the way in science, policy, and innovation. Our guests defy stereotypes, define practice, and disrupt convention. We highlight the breadth and depth of nursing influence on society by amplifying nurses who are pushing boundaries and breaking down barriers to build a new paradigm. Today, we launch Episode 1, Season 2 of the Amplified Nursing Podcast. Growing up in rural Louisiana, Travis Nelson didn't consider himself a trailblazer. His drive to help people, along with some encouragement from his mom, led him to be the first African-American man to graduate from his community college nursing program. Once a nurse, he soon found himself gravitating toward union leadership, working on behalf of his fellow nurses. We talked to Travis about his passion for advocacy, his work as an elected delegate of the Democratic National Committee in Oregon, and the political weight that nurses carry. All right. So, Travis, thank you so much for talking with us today. I'm really excited to hear your story and talk to you more about why it's so important for nurses to get involved in politics and um, to just, you know, learn more about you. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I'd love to get started to hear sort of your backstory, your origin story. I saw on your bio that you are a Head Start kid, you know, you're a former janitor, you went to community college. What is it about those things that really defines you? Well, um, I, I, I think I'm just, I've got a unique experience. Um, I've got a, a unique story that really roots me in wanting to do everything I can to help people. Um, I would not be where I am today if I hadn't received a lot of help along the way. Like you mentioned, um, I was very, very poor as a child. I was born in rural Louisiana and pretty much a, 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 an all-Black community um, that um, today, in that same community, the average household income is about $20,000, if that tells you anything. Um, I grew up, you know, getting food stamps intermittently. I remember standing with my mom um, in the cheese lines in the 80s. Um, you know, begging her for two blocks of the cheese, not knowing that they only gave you one instead of the powdered milk, because I hated <laughs> the powdered milk that they used to give out. Um, I was a kid that barely graduated from high school. Um, my GPA was, I believe, about a 2.4 coming out of high school. Uh, didn't have a whole lot of intention on really taking college seriously. Um, neither one of my parents went to college. My dad worked in fruit processing and um, for places like Pepsi and Gold when I was growing up. And he had always been union. And I thought I could just, you know, go to work one day getting one of the union jobs that my dad had. Um, and that turned out not to be the case for me. And it took me a couple of years to realize that I needed to go back to school. So initially, I, I went back to community college, just taking a class here, class there, thinking I would be a teacher. Um, along the way, I got a job um, working for a local school district uh, as a janitor. And while I was working as a janitor, um, I, I learned from the teachers that I shouldn't become a teacher. 
And then the um, my final revelation when it when it came to you know going from teaching to nursing came when I called my mom up one day, and I needed five hundred bucks to make my community college tuition, and she said, "I'm going to give you this money, but you need to forget about teaching, and you need to go into nursing." And if you go into nursing, you'll never have to ask me for money again. So um, I looked into uh, what it took to become a nurse. The prerequisites were, were very similar. And I uh, uh, began to apply to nursing schools. And sure enough, I ended up getting into my community college program. Uh, it was the hardest thing I ever did. But looking back on it, it was, uh, it was, it was very well worth it. Um, after graduating from community college, I, I, I moved to the Portland area where um, I began working uh, as a resource nurse and then uh, started doing critical care and, and ER nursing. At the same time, I was taking a class here, a class there, uh, working on finishing my bachelor's degree, which I eventually did. Um, earning my bachelor's degree from Washington State University. I'd love to learn more about what was it about nursing that your mom thought would be a good career path for you? And also, why, like, what was it about nursing that made you say, oh, yeah, I could see myself doing that? Well, my mom had been a CNA and med aide for much of the time um, I spent growing up. Um, so she had worked around nurses. Um, she knew that nursing provided a, a you know, a, a, a good income and a, a good quality of life. And it's something I think that she had always wanted for herself. Um, and, uh, you know, she, she knew me. She knew that I was somebody who cared about people, um, somebody who had, you know, spent a large chunk of my youth and early adulthood, you know, with the focus on helping people. And, um, and, and, and yeah, that's why she pointed me in the direction of nursing. And it wasn't something I had given a whole lot of thought to before she told me I should do it. And then when I started researching it, you know, I thought, yeah, I, I, can, I, I can do this. Did you have any concerns that generally nursing is thought of as a stereotypical female dominated profession. Did that cross your mind at all? Uh, it did, it did. But you know, I, I, when, I, when I thought about that, I also thought about the fact that you have more women than ever becoming, uh, becoming doctors and entering professions that aren't traditionally um, thought of as being female dominated professions. And I didn't think there was anything wrong with me entering nursing. You know, when I looked at the career um, and looked at everything that it took to become a nurse, um, despite my background, despite being African-American in a mostly white community, I, I thought that was something uh, I, I could do. And, um, and I did it successfully. And I actually was the first African-American man in the history of my community college program to graduate. That's incredible. And do you know, has there been like how many others have come after you? I don't. I don't. I, I, I should follow follow up and get that information, but I, I, I don't know how many have you're, come after me. That would be interesting to know, though. Yeah, you're a trailblazer. That's incredible. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think that in 2004, uh, you know, <laughs> in 2005, I was a I was a I was a trailblazer in a, pro, you know, a program that had been around for 50 years. So um but you know that's that that's telling, 
um, as it relates to what we think nurses look like and who nurses should be. Absolutely. Yeah. And you, can you talk more about that? So what was your perception or what do you think the general perception is of what nurses look like and what they should be? And, and how has what you're doing changed that? Yeah, well, having been a nurse for um, 15 years now and having worked with the um, state nurses associations in, in Oregon and in Washington and really working with, with hospitals, uh, what I've come to see is there is, there is a, a bit of a stereotype that nurses are white, um, that they're women, um, and if they're not white and women, that they're, you know, maybe Asian and women, and if not Asian or a woman, maybe a white male. Um, but it's, it, it, our, our profession hasn't done a whole lot to really cultivate um, Black women going into nursing, um, Latino women going into nursing, Latino men, Black men uh, going, going into nursing. Um, that's not something that hospitals or our profession have, have done a great job in cultivating and really um, doing the work that it takes to knock down those systemic barriers and stereotypes. And what do you think it would take for them to do that, to knock down those stereotypes and barriers? Uh, a, a lot of hard work, a lot of hard work. I know that there are, um, for instance, um, I remember when I was going in, uh, going to nursing school, there were Lat Latinx students um, who really wanted to go into the nursing program. I remember one, one guy in particular, and because of the language barrier, he, he was not able to succeed in the nursing program. And it, what, I re, what I recall is the nursing program was essentially like, too bad, so sad, we can't help you. Um, we've got to do more to help folks who's, who, who do not have English as their first language. Um, we've got to do more to um, make sure we are inclusive of people who grew up poor and without resources that some people may have. Um, you know, I, I think um, I think demanding that people invest uh, the, the time that it takes to, you know, that it would take to work a full-time job plus into a program disenfranchises a lot of folks um, right out the gate. Um, so I think we've got to reimagine uh, nursing and we've got to reimagine um, what nursing students look like in this country. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And do you think, you know, there's the debate in nursing now, nursing education between um, associate degree and bachelor's degree and some folks thinking, you know, entry level should really be bachelor's degree. What are your thoughts on that? Having come through an associate's degree program um, and then going on to a bachelor's? Um, I, I just, I, I think eliminating nursing um, degree programs at the associate's level would be incredibly disenfranchising. Uh, I think if you just look at the numbers, I, th I think it's pretty clear across the country that there are um, that there's a lot more diversity in the community college programs than there is in the bachelor's programs. And if I hadn't had my community college program that I went into before going into my bachelor's program, I don't know that I ever would have become a nurse. Um, I, I applied to a bachelor's program. Um, I, in fact, I think I've applied to a couple different bachelor's programs and did not get in because I didn't have the grades that it took to get into, into school. And I, there were a lot of barriers 
for me along the way um, related to my race and re related to the my financial status of my family growing up um, that um, that you know that kept me from being one of those students who would have gotten into, into one of those bachelor's programs so um, I, I, I think community college programs do a great service in training entry-level RNs and in an ideal world perhaps we would have all of our nurses have bachelor's degrees um, but uh, I just I think it would be incredibly disenfranchising to eliminate associate's degree programs. For any student out there that's questioning um, whether they can get through nursing school, I just want to say to you that I am an example of somebody who um, probably never should have been a nurse, doubted myself many times along the way. And I, if I can get through nursing school, if I can have the level of success I've had in nursing, you can do it too. So, um, Although you may have some self-doubt, you can get through this, you can do this, and you'll be a great nurse. We hope you're enjoying this episode, and we'll be back with more in a few minutes after this quick break. Hey, I'm Dan Gorenstein, host of the podcast Trade-Offs. I've been reporting on healthcare for years, and here's what I know about our system. It's costly, it's complicated, and a lot of the time, it's counterintuitive, especially in the time of a pandemic. Each week, we look at the data, the evidence, with people who best understand it, and tell stories about some of the country's toughest health policy problems. Subscribe to Tradeoffs wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, podcast friends. We at the Amplify Nursing Podcast are performing a listener survey and we want to hear from you. Please take a few minutes to tell us how you feel about the podcast. It will help us provide you a better listening experience. You can access the short survey on our website at nursing.upenn.edu podcast. We would be forever grateful. So let's talk about you then went on, you were working, you ended up getting your bachelor's degree, and then where did you end up from there? How did you start getting involved in politics? Yeah, um, it was actually right before I got my bachelor's degree that I started getting involved in politics. I'd say around, it was around 2007 uh, that I showed up to a union meeting at my hospital because I was paying union dues and I was wondering, hey, where's, where's this money going? So I, I showed up to a union meeting and um, what I've subsequently learned is when people show up to union meetings, they start asking you to do things. <laughs> so I was asked to be on the contract negotiation team at first. Um, and I did that and that was an eye-opening experience for me. Um, and after that, I, I, I decided to run for local unit chair at my, at my hospital. So I did that and won and served uh, for two terms as local unit co-chair at my hospital. But um, along the way, I started doing things like putting yard signs in my yard, supporting um, uh, 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 political candidates in state house races. Um, and uh, every so often I'd make calls uh, for political candidates. And then in 2007, uh, 2008, excuse me, uh, I got involved with Barack Obama. Uh, his campaign was life-changing for me. Uh, it was truly inspirational. I had never seen anything like his campaign. I had never in my lifetime thought that we would have a president who 
was not white. And when his campaign took off, I became extremely excited. Um, and in fact, I went to I went to his inauguration in Washington, D.C. And I think that was the beginning of, of, a, of a change for me. Um, after he was elected, to be frank, though, I did what a lot of uh, Democrats and progressives like me did. Um, I stopped doing anything, which turned out to be horrible because uh, that's how the Congress was lost in 2010, 2012, 2014. And then as the end of Barack Obama's presidency began to come to a close, I decided to get um, re-engaged and I um, got involved with my state and local party, ran to become chair of the Democratic Party of Oregon Black Caucus and won that race. I, I then ran to become a delegate to the Democratic National Committee um, and I won a spot as a DNC delegate from, from Oregon. And I worked extremely hard that summer and fall to try to get Hillary Clinton elected uh, along with uh, various candidates at the state and local level here in Oregon. And uh, I remember on election night, at a, an election night party, um, seeing state by state that I expected Hillary to win going to Trump, um, Florida going to Trump, Ohio going to Trump, um, North Carolina going, going to Trump, uh, Michigan going to Trump, Pennsylvania going to Trump. And that was crushing for me, <laughs> to, say, to say the least. And that's when I decided I needed to step up my game either, even further. So I decided to run for a spot on the Democratic National Committee um, representing Oregon. Um, there were three spots open to, the, uh, to serve on the DNC. Um, and there were, I believe, about 16 or 17 candidates from Oregon who were running. And I ran and came in second overall. And um, that was the start to uh, an, ex an a, a even, ex even more accelerated level of participation in politics. So I want to definitely talk about that acceleration. But can you just describe what does it mean to be a delegate for a Democratic National Convention. So you said you were a delegate in 2016 when it was in our home state, home city of Philadelphia. Um, what does that look like? What do you do as a delegate? How involved are you? And how do you think your nursing lens um, affected any of the work that you're doing, if at all? Um, well, what it means to be a, a delegate, every state's process is slightly different. But essentially what happens is every state is allotted an amount of delegates that's based on the amount of Democrats essentially in their state. And they, um, they are, some are pledged and some are unpledged, but if you're running, you are pledged. I'm gonna to try to keep it very simple. Um, and when you are a pledged delegate to the convention, you go, you participate in things like platform committee. Uh, the Democratic Party platform is the document that tells you exactly what the Democratic Party is about. Every state and territory um, has, uh, has a Democratic Party platform. You can just Google it for the most part. Uh, Pennsylvania Democratic Party platform or Democratic Party platform. Um, you participate in a whole host of meetings, uh, caucuses based on um, uh, 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 either identity or um, 
different um, uh, kind of constituencies. So for instance, at the DNC, there's black caucus meetings, there's labor caucus meetings. Um, there are um, Latinx committee meetings, there are LGBTQ caucus meetings um, that you can participate in. And then your, your biggest job is to actually vote for your candidate that you're pledged to. So if you are a delegate, for instance, for Bernie Sanders and you get to convention, you cast a representational vote for your state for that candidate. So essentially that's what that means. In the work that I've done, um, whether it's with the DNC or other areas of politics, I believe that my being a nurse has been extremely helpful. Um, you know, the, the most important topic and um, area of concern for people in this country right now is healthcare. Um, whether that's related to COVID or just, uh, you know, single payer or how you're going to pay for prescription costs. As a nurse, I've had to discharge uh, a patient from the hospital knowing that they're not going to be able to afford the prescriptions that I've discharged them with. Um, as, a, as a nurse, I've had to um, admit a patient who was critically ill, who did not want to be admitted to the hospital um, because they, they, they could not afford to pay for the bill. Um, so I have actually seen a lot of what people on the streets are just talking about firsthand when it comes to healthcare and how it impacts people on a day-to-day -day basis. And that experience, along with just the, um, uh, uh, the level of caring that we have as a nurse, has made me that much better when it comes to my political advocacy. And so that political advocacy has continued. It says on your um, DNC page that you were the co-chair of the Oregon delegation for the 2020 Democratic National Convention. What did that look like this year in this era of COVID? Yeah, well, it didn't look like anything that we had thought it was going to look like a year ago, that's for sure. Um, you know, COVID has changed all of our lives, uh, right? I mean, I mean, even if you're not wearing a mask, how you eat out and, or how you participate and interact with other people um, has changed. Um, and so when uh, Senator Wyden and Senator Merkley, who have traditionally uh, co-chaired our delegations to the convention, uh, stepped back and asked myself and Ro Dr. Rosa Colquitt, who is the current chair of the DPO Black Caucus, to step up and run for delegation chairs, um, that was that was the that was an extreme honor. It was an honor, really, of a lifetime. It's not something I ever thought a person like me, a kid like me, would have ever been asked to do. Um, what that looked like, what that normally looks like, is being uh, kind of the leader of your state's delegation when you're actually going to convention. Uh, a lot of times, it means speaking to to the delegation to start the day, to end the day. Um, helping to make sure that things are flowing the way that they're supposed to be flowing within your delegation, making sure that votes are, are accounted and that people are accounted for. Um, this time it was different and that a roll call, for instance, was, was different. That's historically a big part of the Democratic National Convention where every state goes around and says who they cast their votes for. Um, this year we did it virtually. Um, and uh, we had a crew that was uh, remote and was communicating with our staff and with us via iPad and, and kind of directing us. 
And so we had 30 seconds to do our roll call vote from our, our place of choosing here in Oregon. And every state did, did the same. So if you saw the roll call vote at convention this year, um, it, it went off actually really well. I think it was one of the highlights of convention. Um, also with convention being done virtually this year, um, uh, as co-chair, I started many of the days and I ended the days um, with, with Dr. Rosa Colquitt. Um, we did a lot of inter-caucus meetings. We did a lot of regional caucus meetings. So where we paired up with states like Washington um, to do different types of interactive activities. Um, we had different speakers come and talk to us over the course of convention. A lot of them elect, uh, elected officials from other states uh, or elected uh, officials who wanted to speak with our particular caucus for one reason or another. So um, I just kind of helped guided that whole process um, when it came down to my role as co-chair. So we're less than say 35 days to the election. What are you gonna be working on leading up until November? Yeah, well, um, yeah, you're right. We're, we're, we're about a month, uh, a little more than a month away from election. Um, what I am doing currently is I'm doing uh, phone banking on the weekends. I'm phone banking for, for Biden. I'm phone banking for candidates in other states. I'm phone banking for candidates here locally. Um, we also have ballot measures here in Oregon that, that I'm working on. So I'm, uh, I'm serving um, in, in one capacity as a, as a member of a steering committee where we are taking a look at doing some uh, police accountability reforms here in Portland. Uh, I'm doing some other work, um, trying to get tobacco products, um, uh, uh, the, the tax on, on those increased, um, and implementing a tax on vapes here in Oregon. Um, there's a lot of different work that, that, that I'm doing um, when it comes down to supporting candidates and causes. This year's a little different because what I really like to do is canvas and knock door to door. It's great exercise. It's great actually talking to people. People are generally nicer to you um, when you're knocking on their door, talking to them about politics than they are when you when you call them. But COVID's changed things, right? So um, we've got to do postcards. We've got to do letters. Um, and we've got to do a lot of phone calls to people to get out the vote. So how do you think other nurses can get involved? And where should they be putting their energies leading up to the election? Yeah, well, you know, nursing, uh, we are not monolithic. That is something I've learned over the years. So whether you are, um, you know, Democrat, Republican, or fall somewhere in between, um, there are ways for you to get involved. If you want to get involved, but you have no idea where to start, I think the best place for you to start is by contacting your state party. Um, I know that pretty much every state party, if you go to their website, on the Democratic side at least, has a place where you can sign up to volunteer. And when you sign up to volunteer, generally you'll, you can either say what you wanna do or ask somebody to get back to you and somebody will get back to you and they will ask, do you want a phone bank? Do you wanna write letters? Do you wanna, do you wanna write postcards? Uh, how do you want to help? Um, so that's a great place to start by going to your state party website and saying, hey, I'd like to volunteer. There are, other, there are some other great organizations such as Indivisible and Sister District 
which aren't really associated um, with the Democratic Party, but are doing um, work to get progressive candidates elected up and down the ballot. Um, and so those are those are the those are the main things that come to mind when it comes to how nurses can actually uh, get involved and get engaged. And you can also check with your county party or your legislative district party as well, as most states have have um, local parties that are working on getting out the vote as well. Do you think it's important for nurses to get involved and be political? I know there's a lot of nurses who think that, you know, the profession shouldn't be political. Um, you know, we serve everyone and we should, you know, not put our political views out for the public to see. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I couldn't disagree with that point of view more. Um, nurses, time and time again, year after year, have been voted the most trusted professionals. And what, what I will say is politics is extremely important because so much of what impacts us on our daily lives is impacted by politics, right? Um, whether it's the regulations that we work under. I know here in Washington State, Governor Inslee, our governor, has implemented a bunch of uh, uh, emergency declarations and emergency orders that, that directly impact how we practice. Um, everything that happens with healthcare, Medicare, Social Security, that impacts nursing, that impacts staffing. Staffing in and of itself can be impacted by who you elect to your state legislature. So um, nurses have got to get engaged. Um, having done public affairs, um, ha having done you know, um, worker advocacy for so many years, um, I know that elected officials listen to nurses. When I go into a room and I say, I'm a nurse, this is my experience, this is my perspective, legislators and people who are elected listen. That's a powerful voice that we as nurses have, and we have got to use it. Um, because like I said, politics impacts everything that we do. Where do you see your path in politics going from here? Wow, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm in a weird spot right now where I'm trying to decide whether I'm gonna run for Democratic National Committee again. Um, I have to make up my mind in the not too distant future um, because we will be having our elections here in Oregon before the year is over. Um, I'm, I'm a fairly recent graduate of our labor candidate school here in Oregon. Um, that's a training program for union members and pro-union candidates uh, or, and, and people who would like to run for office in the future. Um, but I, I don't know what I'm going to run for. I, I think I'm going to run for something. Uh, I've been inspired more and more by recent events to run and get engaged um, because the voice of people like me is not heard nearly as much as it needs to be heard in politics. So um, I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I, I know I will, I'll do something in the future. Well, I'm extremely happy though, advocating for doing the work I do, advocating for nurses, advocating for workers, um, trying to get hospitals to do the right thing when it comes to COVID and advocating for fair working conditions. Well, Travis, I look forward to seeing where this takes you. Uh, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you for having me. Hello, Marion. Hey, Angela. Welcome to season two of Amplify Nursing. 
How exciting is this? We are back and we are kicking off season two, episode one, with Travis Nelson, who is just an incredible nurse and engaged citizen. He is a former Head Start kid, former janitor, community college grad, who is now a member of the Democratic National Committee and co-chair um, in Oregon, and is just doing incredible things um, that I can't wait for everyone to hear about. Yeah, it was really exciting to speak with him and to hear him talk about his journey and how much of an impact he's having on politics in Oregon, especially with this nursing lens. And I think it's so important. And I, I was very inspired listening to him. And I think it's really important to have people like him in leadership positions that have a voice and are able to uh, transfer their experience into advocacy and action for others. For sure. And he's definitely a trailblazer. He was talking about how in his associate's degree program for nursing, he was the first black male graduate that they had. And so he's not only a trailblazer in the work he's doing in politics, but he's really allowing young boys, young black boys, people of color to see what it's like and the possibilities that are out there in the nursing profession and in the advocacy and activism and engagement that he's in, in all the work that he's doing. And so it was just a thrill for me to be able to talk with him, for us to be able to talk with him. And I'm so grateful and thankful that he was willing to share his story with us because I really believe more people need to hear it. Yeah. And it's going to be really exciting to watch him moving forward. He's a, he's a young guy. I think he's going to do great things. For sure. Amplify Nursing is hosted by Dr. Angela Rosa Donato and Marion Leary and produced by the University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing, with special thanks to our Department of Information Technology Services for their assistance. Music for the podcast was created by Harper Leary. The podcast is made possible by the Krista and Rich Panola Fund for Innovation in Nursing. Follow us on Twitter at Penn Nursing. Until next time, keep pushing over, under, around, and through. We want to thank you for listening to the Amplify Nursing podcast and remind you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you enjoy your podcast listening. And if you can do us a solid, please rate and review us as well. It will go a long way in amplifying our episodes.